0: And so you live in a body, but you can defile that body. And one way you defile the body is by fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And everybody has the lust of the flesh. And you can ruin your body, and you can abuse that body, and you can use that body to fulfill the wrong things, the desires that are not what God wants. We're to use our body as a means, as a tool to accomplish what God wants. This is why Paul says, lest after I have run, and if a man's going to run and strive for the mastery, lest I be disapproved or set aside, rejected, and I don't get to claim that which I want and which I ran for. In other words, if you're going to run the race, run to win. If you're going to serve the Lord, the last thing you want to do is be half-hearted in it. Give it all you got while you can. Do you know how much time you have right now left to run your race. Boy, next year, I'm really going to run hard. Next year. I mean, January the 1st, that's going to be my New Year's resolution. So between now and then, see, because I'm dedicating that year to the Lord. But between now and then, it's mine. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. After all, it is my life. After all, I am going to serve the Lord for the rest of my life. But this last six months, I mean, after all, you think it works like that? And uh, do you know for sure that you have uh, another day left? You don't know where the finish line is. Run in a race when you don't know where the finish line is. But now, he says in verse 17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Your body has been set apart. It belongs to the Lord. So when he gets in here later and he talks about some of the sins that some of the people have committed, he's letting them know he's correcting their problem by a spiritual solution. Teach proper doctrine. Because the only way we can help any Christian is with proper doctrine. Because otherwise, what have we got to use? Take, for example, the people on Sunday mornings. What power do I have over them? I mean, for real. I can't make them do anything, can I? I can't make nobody live right. I can't make anybody give. I can't make anybody serve. I'm the boss of what? Will everybody do exactly what I say do? No, it won't work that way. The only thing I can do is teach doctrine. It's got to be the doctrines that are taught in the Word of God that people want to listen to. And when they leave, that knowledge follows them everywhere they go. And if God can't govern them and watch over them because of the Word of God, then there's no hope. I can't do that. How would I leave church this Sunday, and I'm going to walk with a hundred of them, and I'm going to watch everything they say and do and correct them when they go wrong? Wouldn't it be easy? And I'm one person. Which one of you want me to go with you? What? Well, Thanks. That'll really make me feel good tonight. When you get to the place where you understand we're to teach people, this is what 1 Corinthians is written for. Correct the problem. But Paul lets them know there is a problem. What is that problem? How to solve that problem. And this is where you read this book and you'll find out there's a lot of ways in how to counsel individuals because it's right here in the Word of God. Now, Look there in chapter 4 and look in verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found popular, famous, rich, faithful. Now, evidently, the people in Corinth were not what? They were not faithful. That they were proud and puffed up, but they weren't faithful. So Paul lets them know that it's required that every shall of God be found faithful. So he's telling them something that's true so they can do whatever. Paul can't make them do anything. But he's going to teach them the truth. And that's what he does throughout this book. Now look at verse 14. Verse 14 he says, I write not these things to shame you, though I think he should have. But now I want you to look at the next part. But as my, and you ought to underline these two words. But as my beloved sons, what's he saying here? My beloved sons, what does that tell you? Anything? He led them to the Lord. He was not questioning their salvation. He's questioning their faithfulness, their love for the Lord. And because you see, it's so each say, I love the Lord. And that's why later on in chapter 8, when he says in 1 Corinthians, he says, The Lord knoweth them that love him. Just take a hold your place right here and just look real quickly over there at this verse. And notice what he says in verse 2. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. If a man loves God. But you see, you don't have to love God to get saved. And you don't have to love God to go to heaven. But you do have to love God to be faithful. You do have to love God to get rewarded. You do have to love God. For God to bless your life the way He wants and reward you when you get to heaven, yes, you and I should love God. So he has to work on this principle of, all right, I've got to teach them the proper doctrine that goes with a particular problem. So anytime I counsel with people, I'm always trying to find out. Now, they're telling me this is the problem, and that's the surface problem. But I have to look, where does that root go? Oh, that root goes way over here. Here's the root problem. This is the surface problem. And they'll think this is where it is, and I'll say, well, let's just start over here. Do you know for certain that if you die the day you go to heaven, when I realize they don't even know the Lord? Or if they do know the Lord, they're not serving the Lord. Maybe they're not in good Bible believing teaching church. They may not be studying the Bible. They may not be giving the way God wants them to give. And all the problems they're having is a surface problem because of a root problem. you got to find out what's the root problem. And so you study the person in order to try to help them. This is why, you know, this is so important. Look at verse 18, where it says in verse 18, Now some are puffed up, and though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? (laughs) In other words, he's telling them this. I'm coming to see you. I'm coming to see you. He's warning them. He wants to face them and he will face them eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose, cheek to cheek. He's going to confront them. He says up here in verse 15, For though you have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus have I begotten you through the gospel. You see, they were questioning whether or not who does Paul think he is? Who does he think he is to tell us what we can and cannot do and how we're supposed to live? He thinks he's the only one that's spiritual? Did you know that same problem happened back there in the Old Testament with Moses and his brother and his sister and a few other little head honchos? And next thing you know, a whole bunch of people got killed. Who where do you think you are? I mean, we got just as much authority and power as you got. And you'll always have that. But just keep it in mind. People can be puffed up with knowledge. This is why, just because you know... Some, well, I've been to the Bible a hundred times. I've had so many people tell me that. I says, have you ever heard John 3.16? What's that? They've been to the Bible a hundred times. But there's a lot they don't know. These Corinthians lifted up with pride. They had all this gift and that gift and so forth. And, like that. and he says, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Over and over again. Don't you know this? If you know this, why aren't you obeying it? And if you don't know this, then you're not as wise as you think you are. And so he confronts them over and over again. Look in chapter 5 and verse 13. Now, the other night we talked about the sin of a person that was in the church and uh, probably with um, a stepmother uh, having sex outside of marriage, not to be done, wicked, wrong, and people were puffed up about it. and It was common knowledge. People knew about it, but nobody would take an action because after all, we just want to show love. We just want to show we're living by grace. Yeah, he says, do what I tell you to do. You need to get that bird out of there. And so I want you to look there in verse 13. He says, but them that are without, God judge, you know, the lost men don't worry about that. But with the church, he said, therefore put away from among yourselves, that wicked person. But there's a good possibility. Here's a saved man that was living wickedly. And he makes that statement. He is doing wicked things. See up there in um, verse uh, two, where he says, And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he have done this deed, might be taken away from among you. So he's talking about the same person, and that a person has done something that was not right. He says in verse six, "Don't you know that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Don't you know if you don't correct this, that this thing can permeate and your whole church can be permeated with sin? Because you see, when sin isn't punished and it lets it go and there's nothing wrong, then then it it just causes more people not to be disciplined, not to be faithful, and it just it ruins the whole church, and then everybody becomes backbiters and." envious and jealous and all those things that devours each other. And this is what he's talking about in the book of Galatians. That you, de- you devour one another. So that's important to know. Now look in chapter 6. And you'll notice he mentioned the seventh. He's saying, now here's another problem that they had. So if we kind of look at some of the problems as we go through and how did he solve the problem? He says in verse 1, dare any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? But see, many people don't read that verse. They jump right over there to verse 9 and 10, and you see, they'll say, look at that. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So if you're unrighteous, you can't inherit the kingdom be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, or feminine, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And so if you do any of these things, that's why you can't go to heaven. And take it totally out of its context. But now let's just kind of leave it right where it is. And then look at it in the context. And you'll notice what he says in verse 2. He says, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you not worthy to judge the smallest matters among yourself? Where is your discernment? See, this is why, then just look at this. You see, there in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, when he says in verse 15, he says, But he that is spiritual judgeth what? All things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. See, the natural man cannot truly discern a spiritual man. But a spiritual man can judge spiritual things and lost people and know what's right and know what's wrong. This is why in Hebrews you talk about studying the Word of God and that your senses may be exercised to discern both right and wrong, good and evil. Part of maturing in the Lord is gaining discernment, knowing where God stands on as many issues that pertain to life as you can. So you grow in the Lord. You'll find out where God stands here. Then you'll learn a little bit more and find out where God stands here. Well, where does God stand? Well, God stands right here. and Then that's where I stand. And you can't say, well, I know all of it because I don't know where God stands on everything, so I've got to learn. So you keep studying the Word of God, and God will voice His opinion on just about everything that pertains to life. That's the value of studying the Bible. So he makes a statement up there in verse 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that He may instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. You see, God has given to us His Word. We know God's mind on how you and I are supposed to live. So by telling the Corinthian Christians, do you not know? That means there's something they don't know. They don't have the mind of Christ. They have human wisdom, but not godly wisdom. They're not having good discernment. And this is why he says, many are sick, some are weak, some are dead... Because he says, you're not discerning the Lord's body. You're not discerning. And so, there's a lot of God's people that are not maturing in the Lord, and they cannot do the things that God wants them to do. They're not listening. They're not learning. Now, go back there to verse 2 of chapter 6. He says, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Then he says in verse 3, know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Discerning things in this life. Now. Because he's not talking about in eternity, not only that you're going to be judged by what you do in this life. Now. What kind of discernment do you have? In verse 4, If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. In other words, the least person in your church ought to know how to judge spiritual things better than the lost man out there in the world. And can't you get together and learn how to solve your own problem? Now, in businesses uh, and companies and things like that, in car wrecks or whatever it might be, there's times when you have to take a person to court. But it's not a church issue where you're talking about an individual. In other words, if I'm driving down the street and somebody slams into me, um, there might be a lawsuit. You say, is that right or wrong? There's nothing wrong with that. That's why they're carrying insurance, and there is, there's injury, and there's assault, there's all these things, and that's why you you have it. So there's nothing wrong in things that are right to do, because the Lord says if uh, you, like if you fall into a ditch on a man's property, the man could have had it filled up, then he could be responsible. We got laws like that today, don't we? That's why you even hate to have the company come, they'll liable to fall in the bathtub and sue you, take everything you got. But Christians ought not do it to another Christian when it's a church matter that can be resolved. But notice what he says. He says in verse 5, I speak to your shame. Is it so? Remember, he said, I'm not writing this to shame you. Remember the other chapter? Now what's he saying? I speak to your shame because you ought to know this. He says, Is it so that there's not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother, go up to law with brother, and that before the, get this, unbeliever. When he says there in verse 1, go to law before the unjust. Those are the unjust. This is the unbeliever. And then he goes on down through here, and he says this in verse 7. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. So he's telling them what the problem is. They're doing something wrong, letting them know the error of their ways. And he says, because ye go to law one with another, why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, see those three little words? Ye do wrong. He has to rebuke them and defraud and who? Your brethren. That's why he says now, know ye not. So we are referencing The unjust judges, the people in the world, those that are not saved, he's not telling them, this is you, this was you, in the sense that you were lost, but now you're saved, so you don't lose the lost man to be all of this for you when you have people who are supposed to be spiritually minded that can help you. So he says this in verse 9, Know ye not, evidently they didn't know, but they were wise, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? They won't. They're lost. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, or effeminate, or abusers of themselves. Why would you want people like this to sit in judgment on you? Why would you want these people to handle church matters? He says, these are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You are. So he says in verse 8, and such were some of you. So this is not referring to them. They may have been like that. And now that they have trusted Christ as Savior, some of them may still have those sins in their life, which they did. But he says this, But such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Does he cast doubts upon their salvation? No. He doesn't teach, says, Well, that means you were not really saved. He's not teaching that. So he makes a statement in verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. In other words, you may have a legal right to go to law and to the unbelievers, and you can take them to court and whatever you want to do. You can have the right to do it, but you don't have to. It's not expedient. You don't have to. Yeah, but they'll defraud me. And sometimes you'll be defrauded. Over the years, I've had a few occasions where I've been defrauded. And what do you do? I just, if I was to go fishing with my new brand new $5 lure. <clears throat> oh no. Oh no. It's hung up on the bottom and I need somebody to go in there and get it. Peter, would you go down there and get that out? Of, oh, that's on, that's, now I can either hold on to that $5 lure for the rest of my life. That's my lure and I have the right if I want to, or I could cut my loss And go on with life. Have you ever lost anything in life? And you just got to move on. Don't get hung up on things that are insignificant. And don't mount to a hill of beans 100 years from now. People say something to you. I have the right to defend myself. And buddy, I'm going to let them have it. You can. But it's not expedient. In other words, you don't have to do it. You may have a right to do a lot of things. But you see, dedicating your life to the Lord means a a meek person is the one who surrenders his rights. He has the right to do something. It's like a gigantic stallion, a wild stallion, all that power, but submits himself to that little old bit in his mouth, and a little old girl can run that big old horse. It's power under control. Its rights yielded to the Lord, and a lot of people just will not do that. They will run in defiance of God, and they got to do it their own way, and. And not serve God the way they should. Now, notice what he says in verse 16. He also deals with what they were going through in chapter 5 about the person who messed it up. So, how does he solve this problem? He tells them this verse 16, what? Know ye not? See that? In other words, don't you know this? That he which is joined to a harlot is one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Why would you have to flee fornication? Because it's possible to commit fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Once you fulfill the desires of rebellion and sexual desires you'll have the desire again. And because you fulfilled it this way, you have a habit of fulfilling it again and then again. And every time becomes easier and easier and easier. That's why it's a sin against yourself because you are a creature of habit. Once you say a a swear word, isn't it easier to say another one? When is it easier to take a second drink? After the first drink. The reason that I never took a first drink because I was afraid I might like it. And then I might want a second drink. The reason I never took a a cigarette because I was afraid I might like it. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life. (coughs) I just didn't see any joy in that. I didn't see no joy. I'm going to ruin my lungs. Watch. I'm so happy. They always saw some good-looking guy, some good-looking girl on a bar stool, and she just... Chesterfield, remember, it satisfies. If it did, then why do you want another one? Evidently, it never did satisfy. This satisfies. This is a good life. Now, see how y'all get me sidetracked so easy? But look what he says in verse 18. Flee fornication. And then he says in verse 19, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? letting them know that they don't have a right to do whatever they want to do. You belong to the Lord. So he's using proper doctrine to correct a sinful habit. And the only way we can help people to grow strong in the Lord is telling them, look, this is what God said. This is what God said. God said this, and God said this, and you go through it. And then notice what he says here in verse 20. You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are oh, gods. Who do you belong to? And you no, know, there's not a person in this room that can make you live godly, is there? And nobody in here can make you come to church. You have to learn what does the Lord mean to you and try to have the right example for yourself. If you take care of you, you've got a full-time job. And then try to use that power of influence in the lives of other people. And if you do, God will bless you. All right, let's look up here. This is the most important part of the message. I had a man call me just the other day. He says, I've been watching your videos. And he says, that thing you do with the wallet, I really like that. And somebody else uh, from another state, I forgot where it was, Great Britain, I think. Somebody from Great Britain, trust the Lord, this week. And somebody else in another state, but I can't remember where it was from. But uh, there's been several of them just the last couple of days. So there, there's people listening and watching. Anyway, look up here. This hand represents you and me, the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. The Bible says that God loves us. He hates our sin, but He loves us. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And the Bible says that God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. But we have a payment to make. So we can't go there because we have to go there to pay for what we did. And everybody's guilty. And none of us are without sin. But heaven is perfect. And we have to be perfect to go there. And so we're not. So how can a man get to heaven? This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Now he came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin, but He loves us. And the sins separates us from the Lord. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. He took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And God said that if we would believe that He did it for us, He would put this payment that He made to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what Christ did for us. You see, sin separates. But whenever you accept that payment... Sin doesn't separate. We're joined together with the Lord, and He says, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. You're in my hands, and no man can pluck you out of my hand. That's why this is an eternal union. And sin can never again separate us from the love of God. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. And if you're watching by Internet, right on the screen says, Yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. I can't tell if you do or you don't. It just lets us know that you believed it or you told us that you did. It doesn't save you. But if what I said made sense to you, the only thing that can save you is, will you or will you not believe that Jesus Christ died and paid for your sins? And if you'll trust him right now, he said he would save you right now and give you eternal life. And I pray that you'll do that. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for all you do. We pray, Lord, your will to be done in our lives. Bless our church. Thank you for all the people that we do have that know you and love you and, and for their testimonies. Put hedges about our people. And we pray that we could have the testimony we ought to have. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.